Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, once again, fans, we're here on the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con 2019, uh, the biggest pop culture uh, fan <laughs> experience in, the, in North America. Uh, this... Th- this week, we have the pleasure to talk with Mark Andreco, the writer for Supergirl. Mark, thank you so much for being on More to Come. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, it sounds like we're like a war zone. But yeah, I know. Actually... A, but that's we're bringing the experience of Comic-Con to, to listeners uh, around, certainly around the country, hopefully around the world. Uh, this is Hopefully, this is why they tune in. So, you know, we, if we have to yell, we'll do it. <laughs> but yes, you're getting... The actual experience. Uh, and we're here at the actually the new DC Warner Brothers booth. Uh, we, for, for many years, we've done interviews uh, over in the middle of, of the floor. Okay, but um, what we want to talk a little bit about uh, is about the, your work on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're a, you're a screenwriter, a veteran comics writer. You've done a lot of things. Um, I, we love. I, I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about your background. Okay, um, I grew up outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, went to Kent State University and majored in theater and directing and sort of fell into writing comics. I've been a comics fan my whole life. I've been reading comics since I was four years old. And, uh, yeah, I've been writing comics now. This is the 26th year of writing comics. Wow. And you've written for everybody. Dark Horse, DC, Marvel, Image. Yep. Archie. Yeah. Archie, there you go. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you're you're working now on superhero on on Supergirl, mm-hmm. and how long have you been working on Supergirl? Uh, since issue twenty one, so just over a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Um, now I know the the, the latest uh, story arc that, that that probably we're talking about. It really kind of looks into um, the destruction of Krypton. Um, well, it uh, brings everything full circle yes. because what Brian Bendis established with Krypton being destroyed, not mm-hmm. being a natural accident. Mm-hmm. Um, both Superman and Supergirl have horse in that race and as I in the first issue I wrote in issue 21 Supergirl says to Superman she says you know for you the Krypton was theoretical you were a baby it it was a construct Mm -hmm. for me everyone I know died so it's about her kind of processing her own sublimated grief Mm -hmm. and the physical journey of going out to find out if this is true sort of mirrors her emotional journey of the guilt she has for being a survivor and all that. That being said, it's not a navel-gazing, depressing book. It's also she's no, got no. a super dog with her and she's in outer space yes, fighting yes. aliens. But the, but yeah, but I'm a big believer that the stronger the emotional truth, the more crazy you can get in the I, yeah, genre yeah. stuff. So, and I guess that's one of the questions I want to ask about writing uh, writing for superheroes and writing for female superheroes in this day and age. Um, are there different demands on well, the character? Well, I've said this in a. Well, probably every interview I've ever given. So if you've heard me talk before, forgive me for repeating this. I don't write adjective characters. I don't mm-hmm. write male characters or female uh-huh. characters okay. or gay characters or mm-hmm. black. I write characters who happen to be. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you put the adjective first, yeah. you're writing for the adjective. Mm-hmm. And it, you run the risk of writing a didactic character or a I character see. who is just there to fill a quota. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a, by any means, necessary appearance Character. Yeah. character has to be uh, character has to appear there honestly. Sure. And if that character happens to be gay or of color mm-hmm. or of a different gender, mm-hmm. great. But I don't ever I don't ever have to go like, oh, I need two Native American characters and an Eskimo yeah. character. I think I think that shows in writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least at mm-hmm. least for me, it feels like even as a kid, I never I never liked being told something was good for me. Sure. I like discovering it. 
Sure. Well, then let me rephrase the question then. Are there different kinds of demands just writing a superhero character? Well, yeah, especially, well, I'm, I'm working for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, the corporation and the people mm-hmm. that are paying your bills. Sure. And there are, you know, and I like doing that in addition to the creator-owned stuff I do. Because being told what my limits are actually frees me up more. Uh-huh. You know, the example I use is if you take a little kid to a candy store and say you can mm-hmm. have whatever you want, they're overwhelmed because yeah. it's it's. But if you say you can have every, anything yeah. you want from the lollipop aisle, yes, sure. <laughs> okay, I can right. process that. Right. So by having rules, it actually allows me to try and craft a story that, left to your own devices, when you know when you're doing creative stuff, you can have violence or language mm-hmm. or graphicness. You can't do that. You have to. You're actually trying to tell a mature, a mature story that that both young readers will respond to yeah. and adult readers will respond mm-hmm. to, and I think that challenge makes it worth doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, what about in an atmosphere that we live in today, where, for instance, in some ways, fans today encountered these heroes not necessarily in print. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supergirl is obviously sure. a big deal on TV, yeah. um, so we've entered an era where the superhero. Um, Category the superhero persona is as pervasive as it's been at any time. But most people will come in, t- in contact with it, probably not on the print side. No. Does that affect how you do it, or no, can you I, not I, think about I mean, that? Sort I just of try. I the the basic thing I use is I try and write a story that I'd be willing to pay four dollars for. Yeah, uh-huh. you can't you can't generate work that you wouldn't be willing. I find that when I'm writing, I'm writing because I want to see these stories, not because I want to tell the stories, but, but I, I'm writing because I want to see them happen. And I think that if if you're not excited about the stories you're telling, the readers can pick that up, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I I have to believe that, this, you know, if there's a story that, you know, that I, isn't working, you go back and try and fix it and make it work because there's so many things trying to get the attention of everyone's entertainment dollar, mm-hmm. whether it's the 5,000 shows on Netflix mm-hmm. and all the other streaming services or movies or video games mm-hmm. or plays or whatever, mm-hmm. that you have to make it, you have to, you have to make it worth their time and worth yeah. their money. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that. I try to make sure that it is something that, you know, people, if people choose to spend their money on what you're doing, you want to make, you, you owe them. Sure. But sure. by the same token, I'm not telling. I'm not trying to tell them the stories they want to. Ta- they want mm-hmm. to see. You're trying to tell the stories that feel honest for the character. And when you're working at like a DC, that fit into the continuity of what's going on in the universe at the same time. Sure. So yeah. So that's that to me is yeah. You know, you you try and you try and produce the work that you would buy if it wasn't yours. Now, now but I am curious to, uh, just for your earlier comments, and I understand about the the adjective hero. But are there issues uh, in the in the world that you want to bring into your comics? Sure, but those also have to be organic. Yeah, I don't. Sure. I, I, you know, I don't like to be the oh, that's one to grow on. Mm. You, you know, to use another cliche, you get more flies with sugar than with vinegar. Yeah. Sure. You know, it's like the example. Another example I use is if you look at like Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm. versus my so-called life. Mm. My so-called life was a. Achingly yeah. realistic version yes. of what it was like to be a teenager, and it was on TV for 13 episodes. Buffy was on for seven years because when Claire Danes' character sleeps with Jordan Catalano and that, and he doesn't call her back. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. But when Buffy sleeps with Angel and he loses yeah. his soul and goes to hell, that layer of metaphor allows people to make it personal. Yeah, it's counterintuitive because how can you relate to something an alien's going through or a vampire's going through? But it allows it to remove the reality so you can find the reality yeah. yourself. Yeah. So you know, I say you know the show Thirty Something. 
I love that show, but people who were working 60 hours a week to pay their house payment didn't want to come home and watch a show about yeah. people working 60 hours a week to pay their house payment. <laughs> yes. I joke, if, if it was Moonbase 30-something, it would still be on TV. Yeah. Because that, that genre allows a separation and a way for the, the viewer to imprint themselves on that situation without it being achingly real. Yeah. Um, and I'm also curious, obviously, the family relations in this in this in this story arc, but in I think in the franchise, in the adjacent franchises in general, have become more and more important in recent years. How important is that? Uh, the, well, it's the, very it's very important. I mean, you know, this is this is the equivalent of being in ancient Greece and writing stories about Hercules. We're creating, we're we're getting to add to the zeitgeist myths of these heroes, and it's a big deal because these heroes mean things to people. That's why they've endured for so long, and you have. You know, and there's so much this stuff to explore with Kara and Kal El that mm-hmm. has never been really explored. Technically, she's older than him. Mm-hmm. She was just in stasis yeah. when she came yeah, to Right, right. Mm-hmm. Technically, she's smarter than him. Yeah. She's a science product. She, right. they, they don't really deal very often in her adventures yeah. with how smart she is. So there's that, and there's the whole Marsha, Marsha, Marsha of it all. That she's on Earth and she's <laughs> Superman's cousin. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to my edict from the editorial on high and on what I want to do was I want to make Supergirl not Superman's cousin. I want to make Supergirl a cool character. Yes, she's related to Superman, but that's not, you know, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia are both interesting characters. They are also related to each other, but they can stand on their own. And having Supergirl come to the place of prominence, because she has a different, even though she has the same powers as Superman, she has a different point of view and a different worldview from him that is much more personal in a lot of ways. You know, so to explore that, you know, and I get to write Crypto. Yeah, and there's some great moments uh, with Crypto, I should say. Oh, well, I'm a dog lover, so Crypto, being able to write Crypto and make him feel not like just a goofy device, but he's, he's a part of the family. And it's very interesting. I mean, I'm 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 pretty old, and I grew up kind of reading Superman in the '60s. Mm-hmm. And to see the way you know uh, you use crypto as a, for, for perhaps the way it was used in the past. I mean, obviously, maybe it's just a generational approach to comics, but it's really affecting. Well, thank you because yeah. that means a lot to me because. You know, that's part of the reason why Kevin McGuire signed on for the book, because he's a dog lover, well, and, too. I, and I haven't talked about the art yet, oh, which is fabulous. Well, yeah, when we get to the art, that, yeah. that's a whole other story. But it, but it's just it's just trying to write honestly. I know that mm. that's a word that's overused, but I just try and write, figure out how would I be in that situation? How is this character different than me? What are what are normal reactions in a world where there are aliens and yeah. gods <laughs> and demons and monsters? And when you get exposed to radiation, you don't get cancer, you get superpowers. Yeah. To try and fit that stuff yes. in and make it make it resonate in a real-world audience is, is part of the fun and the challenge. Well, you're clearly very passionate about it. I'm sure that's why it translates so much well, to Well, there's, the there's, there's two kinds of jobs you have when you're yeah. an artist. Ones that you're passionate about or ones that are paying you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And I have a price. I'll write Police Academy 16, but you got to pay me eight or nine million dollars for it. No one will meet my price, so I just try and tell stories that I really, that I really want to see myself. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, and just a word on uh, Kevin McGuire and his art. Kevin McGuire, for the the uh, people in your audience that aren't familiar, Kevin McGuire came to prominence in the 80s when he and Jane Mark DiMatteis and Keith Giffen sort of revamped the Justice League. He did it sort of as a a comedy book. And Kevin McGuire, I will die on this hill and fight you for this draws the best facial expressions of anyone in comics and maybe even art. Because when I get that art back, I write I write for Kevin because he's such a master. I write plot style. I describe what's going to happen on each page with little bits of dialogue and then he does it and then I go back in and put it in. Cool. And, you know, every time I get a page from him, I can't believe, you know, I was 
13 when, when he was doing Justice League, and to be working with him yeah. and writing for him, it's like having Robert De Niro show up and say, I'm going to be in your student film. You're like, <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> and he's a joy to work with. Yeah. Not only getting to work with someone who is at the top of their game artistically, he's a delightful guy. I really, we become friends, and I really enjoy him. So, Great. it's been a dream to have Kevin McGuire draw. I think at this point he's drawn nine issues of the book. Wow. All right. Well, look, um, I think that says it all. Uh, look, this has been really great. Uh, I think our listeners are going to come. We, I don't necessarily think we have a, uh, the hardcore superhero fan, but we have some. Well, we, we, uh, this this Supergirl is written that you can pick it up starting with issue 21 the, the, and those first issues. It's meant to be accessible. All you need to know about Supergirl going in is she's Superman's cousin. Everything is explained within the context of the book. And if you're reading Superman, these issues are cr- we're doing a crossover yes. to deal with the rogue czar of it all, the villain right. who destroyed Krypton, right. and uh, some characters from the future. Ah, there and, you go. And you know, and getting to write John has been a blast too. Yeah. Getting to write these two cousins being kids. Yes, yes, and that's is, a, that's is, once again the you know, family. Pro, you know, yeah. uh, a, you know, they have shorthand. Like in the in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the latest issue, Supergirl and Superboy are facing a villain. And he looks at her and goes, "Big bad wolf," and she's like, "Yeah, they, yeah, well, yes, they yes, will yes, have a yes, shorthand." Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, that, you want them to feel lived in because that makes yes. them feel more real. All right. Well, uh, well, it, it, this has been real. <laughs> it's great talking nice to you. Nice transition. Nice thank transition. You. <laughs> That's very, what we do. Very entertaining tonight of you. <laughs> so, but look, thank you so much for My being pleasure. on More to Come. It's a real pleasure. pleasure to talk awesome. to you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the co-host and the editor-in-chief of Comics Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Uh, we are today at San Diego Comic-Con. We're doing our annual interviews. I'm right here, I'm with Stephen Robson of Fanfare. Do you still have Ponent Mon in there, Stephen? Or? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> Ponent Mon, um, we also publish books in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so those we publish under the name Ponent Mon, mm-hmm. purely Ponent Mon. When we do a book in English, we distinguish it by putting Fanfare Ponent Mon. Okay. Okay. There you go. So I'm a I'm a, a partner in the Ponent Mon part. Fanfare is my own gotcha. UK company. Gotcha. So, um, so you have how old is Fanfare? Fanfare. Um, <laughs> I was incorporated in 1997. Oh, on July 4th. That's on right. July 4th, yeah, exactly. Born on the 4th of July. That was for you, Kate. Um, <laughs> Kate, uh, our co-host hates it when I sing. Um, so 97. So it's 22 years. It now you got started doing manga back then, right? Were you always publishing manga, or did you publish other kinds of comics? So the um, the instigation for uh, for the publishing actually came a little bit later. Fanfare started in 97. Ponent Mon and started in um, 2003 and our very first book was actually from a Frenchman called Frederick Boilet mm-hmm. and um, he was um, he was living in Japan at the time and was forming a, uh, a group called, that was called Nouvelle Manga after the Nouvelle Vague of uh, French cinema and, and that and, uh, and he put together a group of small of independent Japanese and French creators Ah, okay. Yep, and uh, uh, for, I don't actually remember how we met, <laughs> but uh, we have met, and he's a wonderful guy, and we just went from there. So, wow. Well, there you go. Well, you have gotten known for probably being kind of publishing a little bit more what I guess I would call literary manga. I think you're best known for putting out the works of Jiro Taniguchi, the great Jiro Taniguchi. Um, Bless him. Yes, yep. the late great. Um, and like, you know, some of the books that you've published by him are, uh, 
let's see, oh, distant neighborhood, quest for the missing girl, the ice water, the walking man, uh, everything. I mean, just all of his really incredible works. Um, so how did you get, you know, hooked up with this amazing creator? Um, Giro was actually a good friend of Frederick's, of Frederick Boilet. Mm -hmm. And um, although he wasn't part of the Nouvelle manga uh, side, uh, he was just a good friend. Frederick had worked on several of his books to convert them for the mm -hmm. Western sense of reading for mostly the French publishers, Casterman right, right, right. uh, in France. And, um, and so instead of just flipping, Frederick actually spent days, right. months, weeks, months in actually artistically changing it to the Western style. Right. You know? Well, oh, go on, I'm sorry. Yep. So, uh, so it was just through that and through Frederick that uh, we started with, uh, with Giro and our first book was The Walking Man in Paperback. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which actually was like, you know, uh, it's a classic actually. It's like. Oh, it's so zen. It's so oh, wonderful. Nothing, is. nothing happens. That's what's I wonderful. Know. Well, you know, I really feel like Taniguchi's work is very accessible to Western sensibilities. Like he has like a square panel grid, which is something mm -hmm. that American comics obviously readers would find. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like his storytelling is not maybe as, as, I don't want to say off-putting, but it's, it's very accessible. Oh yes, yeah. Well, he he himself was a great fan of um, of French bande dessinée. Ah, and, okay. Um, you know, he he loved Mobius, for instance, and they even worked together. Um, so that's where some some of Giro's sensitivity came right, from, right? Right. Um, and and sense of art style. But he was classically trained, you know, in mm. the usual studio fashion in Japan. So uh, you know, and and that does show in, especially more in his action ones. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he has done an awful lot of work with, just as an illustrator for other people's uh, things, like in Summit of the Gods, right? You know, of course, yeah. which he did not, you know, he did not write right. that. And so, uh, so yeah, he he had that really good mix. Um, sadly, I never had the opportunity to meet the oh, man. Oh no! Yes, I how mean, is uh, that? Didn't he go to Angoulême one year? He went to Angoulême. I didn't know he was going. You know, oh. um, I mean, he was honoured in Angoulême. They had a big, uh, even yeah. before his death, and they, they had a big exhibition there for him. Um, but uh, he, uh, there's, a, there's a little thing that um, where I did sort of meet him in mm. uh, in the ether, if you like, because uh, we did a book called Venice, which, right. is a, which is literally one of the Louis Vuitton travel guides, mm -hmm. and Vuitton made this short. If you, oh. if you just Google Taniguchi Venice, uh -huh. it'll pop out at you. It's about four or five minutes of just Jiro Taniguchi wandering through Venice, sitting down sketching, talking about how he's approaching this book, this project, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, yeah, I cried. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> I cried. So tell me about the new book. You have a new book debuting here at the con of Taniguchi. It's called Skyhawk. Correct. And it sounds really, you were pitching it to me earlier and I was like, Stephen, we gotta get you on the podcast. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about what it's about? Uh, sure, yep. Yeah. yeah, as I said, it's, uh, it is debuting here and, um, we even made a commemorative poster of the, uh, wraparound cover. It's a beautiful wraparound cover, um, for Comic Con's 50th. So there's just 50 of those made for, mm -hmm. you know, um, for anyone who comes and asks me for one. Right. And, um, but Skyhawk itself, as a as a story, it's um, it's about two samurai warriors who were on the defeated side in the Boshin Wars in the 1860s over in Japan, and uh, it is actually well documented that several hundred of them um, caught an old steamboat and came over to America mm -hmm. at that time, and um, after several adventure failed adventures of being gold miners and other things, 
um, they eventually they hook up with um, uh, with yeah with a, with a, with a band of uh, Native Americans whose chief just happened to be Crazy Horse. <laughs> wow. And it's obviously, you yourself must know your own history, uh, better, even better than me. And Crazy Horse, of course, was one of the chiefs right. involved in defeating Custer at the right. Battle of Little right. Bighorn. And what's lovely about it is, it's as thoughtful as all Taniguchi work is, is that it could have happened. Right, right, you know? that's right. So it is historical fiction, it right. is out of Taniguchi's mind, but it could have happened. Well, it's historical fiction. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And, yeah. Um, you know, there are, uh, well, for both the European comics and for uh, manga artists, there is a huge, huge fascination with the history of the American West. I mean, I have to say, mm. our American myth of the cowboy, you know, cowboy versus, uh, you know, Native Americans, or uh, as we would say now, uh, it's a very enduring myth, a very sure. uh, fascinating to other cultures as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, was there other, like, like, do you know anything about Taniguchi's interest in, in the American West? or um, A lot of his interest actually came through his love of Bon Dessine, mm-hmm. the, you know, the French comic, um, because there's, um, there's actually an introduction by Merbius himself in, oh, okay. in the book, um, which he, um, let me just reflect a moment, he says... Um, Thanks to Bon Dessine, we no longer need Hollywood. <laughs> um, because in Hollywood, if you think, in the movies, the Western genre has more or less come to a, a stuttering halt. Right. There's not much being... There was a time when there was a, two, three movies every week coming out. Right. Um, whereas in Bon Dessine, even today in France, there's a whole host of Western Western right. material there, you know. Um, because the French, as you said, other cultures, they just love it. Right. You know? Yeah. No, well, it is. I mean, it's a, it's, it is, uh, it's, it's kind of this myth of open space that a lot, I like this vast land, I think. I think, I, I, I think that's kind of what it's interesting to a lot of places. I mean, Japan is a much larger country than we sometimes have a concept of, but it's still, it's an island. It is, mm-hmm. doesn't have, you know, that, that vast open tracts of land like America has. Oh, and, no. And it has a, and it has a large population uh, for its size. Right, exactly. You know? And, you know, same thing for England. It's a little island, you yeah. know. In England, there's no wilderness left, right? There's just like... No, every 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 path has been trodden. Yes, you know? yeah. So we Even still... where there aren't paths, it's been trodden. <laughs> yes, we I've have. done a lot of that myself, <laughs> you know, personally. Yeah. So you... Uh, uh, so what else? I mean, how, how has... How has your publishing of manga evolved over the last 22 years, Stephen? Because I know when you started, it was kind of like, manga, come on, man. And now it's like, you know, it's it's very popular. It's everywhere. I mean, even though the kind of manga, you know, it's Japanese comics. Sure. But I mean, yeah. you know, how has it evolved in terms of the booksellers and the diamond and all of that for you? Um, it's been a, a slow but steady plot, I would call it, from, mm-hmm. from my point of view. One of the problems being, of course, I'm 6,000, from where we are in San Diego, I'm 6,000 miles away, right. you know, and access to the American market um, can be a little tricky sometimes. I have an excellent distributor over here in IPG, mm-hmm. you know, um, but they don't carry lots and lots of comics. They have MBN, right. you know, te- right. Terry's in there, um, but it's, it's just a slow, steady plod, you know, um, I, uh, well, my books appear at um, about... A, half a dozen or seven shows now in North America. Mm, right. Thanks to several friends helping me out over here. Right. And little bit by little bit, you know, it's uh, it's it's taking root. 
So you have also picked up working with Soaring Penguin, correct? Uh, yes, just recently. Tell uh, us with, about with that. John. Yeah, with John. Well, John, John lived in... John Anderson. John Anderson. Anderson yeah, mm-hmm. John Anderson. He um, he lived in England for uh, for many a year, and we'd bump into each other at shows. And, you know, he admired my books, and I was admiring his books, and, um, you know, we got talking. But then he went back to Canada. He's his native land oh, fairly, fairly recently. He's a Canuck, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. He'll, he'll enjoy me saying that. Yes. And, um, he, uh, uh, so he went back there and he, he hooked up with a, a, a old friend of mine, Tim Pilcher, mm-hmm. who he put in charge of sawing penguin over in the UK. And Tim and I were talking and then I spoke with John as well. And hey, let's just bring you to a show because at the shows, I am Fanfare Presents. Right. And Fanfare Presents is, it's an umbrella for just good creative work, be mm. it from an individual creator or be it from a small independent publisher. And right. that's what I do at these shows here. Because Honet Mon, which I love, and I'm, you know, uh, trusted in that, um, but on its own, it could not afford to come to these shows. Right, right. And I look around England and I see all these other wonderful publishers who also can't afford to come to these shows on their own. And it's just that sense of cooperation. So you team up. I mean, why yeah, not? Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So are you, uh, um, how many years have you been coming to San Diego? It's, when you first go somewhere, you don't kind of think to diary that mm-hmm. this is my right. first time here because I'm going to be coming forever. Uh-huh. Um, well, it feels like forever, but I think... My first appearance at San Diego was in 81. Oh, so you're an old-timer. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I, I've wow. Been invi- I've been invited to the old-timers party tonight. Right. <laughs> what were you doing in 1981? 1981, I was the um, the general manager of, Ty- of uh, Titan Distribution. Oh, so you were connected I was, to the Titan version. And I was I sales see. manager for Titan Books when ah, they started in 81, which okay. is why I think it was 81 when right, I first came. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, talking to Nick Landau and, uh, you know, Titan was, was there at the beginning. There's often forgotten that they were one of the real original pillars of the direct Nin- market. 1976, yes, Titan so Distributors. There was like, yep. and I think of the people who are still around, it would be like Nick and, and Terry, Terry Nantier, who just mentioned yep. NBM, he was around yep. then too, and Fantagraphics, and that's about it. I yep. mean, there was only a few companies mm-hmm. that have survived from the and, indies of those days. I'm one, I'm one of the other, um, one of the other um, starters of, uh, of Titan in the, in the uh, beginning. Was um, was actually a man called Mike Lake, who was Nick, mm-hmm. Nick yes. Landau's partner, yes. and um, Mike and I. In two years' time, we've known each other sixty years. Wow! Okay, we so were you at grew school up together. Right, we right. We grew up in yeah. the same you... same little town in northwest England. Oh, you know, right. And uh, and we're still friends. He's here. Yeah. He's here today. You know. And, yeah, uh, two nerds. Two nerds yep. in an English school and a private school. Yeah, that's it. So what's next? What's your next big book? Uh, coming out, or what's what else can we look forward um, to? Well, my, my my next actual book I'm doing in cooperation with the um, the Lakes International Comic Art Festival, okay. um, which is it's in the area from which I grew up with Mike, you know, um, Mike Lakes, Mike Lakes, yeah. yes, Mike Lakes, <laughs> Mike Lakes District. Oh, that's right, oh, that's yeah. right. And um, and that book's actually from a um, from Belgium, uh, and it's called Mad with Joy, and it's it, it's one of those subject ones that I love to do and it's it's about it's about a, a, a man in his 30s thereabouts and he's just caring for his dying sister oh wow and yes it's no surprise 
she dies. Oh dear. Yep. Okay. But it's how he, how he copes with it, how she's coping with it while she is still alive. Right. And it's just absolutely lovely. Um, the uh, the show is in October in England. The book will come out probably in uh, December, mm-hmm. but I'm putting it together in time for the show. And it's a, it's a kind of like a co-production, right? Right. Yeah, right. With them, I I did one I did one um, three years ago called Twenty Four by Seven. Right. Okay, I remember um, that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the anthology of mm-hmm. um, they had a comics marathon mm-hmm. at, at that particular show, and uh, this was the anthology I, I published the, the collection of the books. Well, we see uh, the smiling face of his, your friend, uh, Stephen Bratos, friend of the bee, and uh, who is at a lot of American shows like Small Press Expo, he, we'll see him at does, MoCA, yeah. TCAF. Yeah. So uh, if you do go to a, a Small Press show in North America, uh, do look out for the Fanfare booth. You will find all these amazing comics. and uh, oh, in- we, we got into Mice again this year. Okay, Mice yep. is a really we're great show. Mice is People a lovely love show. that. Yep. And um, also at your library or in your fine comic shop. So, uh, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. You're most welcome. Thank all you right. for asking me. And happy Comic-Con. To everyone. <laughs>